Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you for being here today, whether in person or or online. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. I'm guessing most of us have celebrated a variation of Thanksgiving um, than what we were planning on. Would that be safe to say? (laughs) What a a season. And um, if if you were not able to be with those that you love for Thanksgiving, I'm sorry. I know that's just a hard, bitter pill to, to swallow. And I was thinking, you know, for whatever uh, disappointment we experienced this holiday, hey, we are going to turn that into joy next Thanksgiving. And when we sit around that table with those we love, it's going to be some hugging going on, isn't it? As well as in the church. I was thinking we used to high five, but when we can hug again, it's just we're going to be hugging. I can't wait for that day. But uh, but want to uh, be sensitive to just uh, if, if you're here today or, or worshiping with this and your heart is sad I was reminded this week that the Lord he he was called a man of sorrows he felt the pain he was human and the disappointments that we feel and as Christians we cause us to grieve those in a healthy way I love it where Jesus says come to me all you who are worried or uh, are uh, yeah worry and heavy laden and come to me with your cares with your concerns with whatever is weighing you down and take my yoke upon you. Know that I'm gentle and humble in heart. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. And so uh, as we come into this place, it's to worship our Lord and bring Him glory and joy, but it's also to receive. And today, if you need hope, and just want to remind you that, that our God is faithful. And I love the fact that even when we go through seasons of disappointment and hard times of life, He said, I will be with you in that. I will be at work in your life in that he will be turning those things that are hard into things that are for his glory and our good and this too shall pass <laughs> i love that uh, passage in first peter chapter where he says even though you suffer um you know grief in a variety of trials for a little while that little while this too shall pass and so be encouraged this morning and we are in this series that uh we're calling this, Let's Do Some Good, and the orange, if you're just joining us, the orange hopefully is triggering a thought of Home Depot, and what's the motto for Home Depot, and Corey Bloomer helped me with this, she knows all the mottos, it's a crazy deal, ask her any motto and she knows it, but Home Depot is helping doers get more done, and the idea is we're, um, the Word of God is like the Home Depot for, for the soul, when we have a, a home project to do, we go there to be equipped, when we have a, a to-do which God has called us to um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 10, that says, okay, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's kind of the backdrop for this series. How do we do the good that God's called us to do? And we, we come to his word and we're equipped. And so that's what we've been doing over the past few weeks. Today is the wrap-up, and today's a little different in that we're not actually pushing a cart through Home Depot. We have already got our stuff. And now we're home, and we uh, will let this caulk represent the project. I bought this about two weeks ago at Home Depot. But um, we've got the caulk. We've got what, the supplies that we need. It's sitting on our 
garage workbench, and we have the time to do this project, but now we have found ourselves sitting on the couch and uh, struggling to have the motivation to do what, what we need to get done. Anyone else have a project at home or a project at school or whatever that is uh, <laughs> it's just out there on that do list and we're struggling to get up off the couch and get it done? The, uh, well, thankfully, this morning, I looked at the weather and God provided motivation as I saw tomorrow. Did anyone else see this? Good chance of snow coming. So guess what I'm doing this afternoon? I'm loading up the caulk gun. I'm going to get her done. Well, this text that we're in today is kind of like a gift from God in the realm of motivation and just helping us kick it into gear and do the good that he's called us to do with the heart, the heart of Christ. And it's 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. John writes this letter to uh, the big idea, big purpose of it is to give us assurance of our salvation for how do you know that you're truly a child of God? You've been re reborn. And he writes the letter to give us that confidence that we can know we have eternal life. But as he does, he just keeps uh, challenging us to live up to who we are in Christ. And this is one of the, the texts that does that. We'll start in verse 11 where he says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. Okay, what, what's the message? It is this. We should love one another. Now when I read that, when you read that, do you think, what beginning is he talking about? When did this message, what beginning, the beginning of John's life or the beginning of his time with Jesus? Well, you could say the beginning, the day Jesus called them off the boat, John was a fisherman, called them off the boat. The next scene, they're out doing good, loving big in their community. And then the next scene is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where he says this, and we have the, the text, Matthew 5, verse 30, or, uh, 43. Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then, so start of his time with Jesus, end of his time with Jesus. We know John chapter 13, verses 34, 35, and that whole text where Jesus huddles with his guys just before the cross, and he says, a new command I'm giving you, love one another. And we know, well, that's not new. That, that's, we have that all the way back in Exodus. So what's the new part? And the new part is, Love one another as I have loved you. So the priority of our calling here is what we see. And in this text, what John does, first he says, okay, guys, here's the main thing. Here's the main thing. Our core priority is to, we should be loving each other. This is the message we've heard from the beginning. Now, why is this? He answers that question. Then he answers, okay, what's it look like to love each other? And then finally, he gives us the motivation or the challenge to love. So, thinking, I was, this week, during one of uh, my daily uh, meetings with the Lord, chair time, we call it, but I thought, you know, I'm going to go through each book of each letter in the New Testament or each gospel and pick out my favorite verse that represents this core calling. And it is an awesome exercise. If you're looking for something to do as you uh, meet with the Lord, where every letter and every book has just core moments where it's saying, hey, this is the main thing. Love each other as, as we've been loved. In Matthew, I'll run through a few of them. Matthew, it starts, the verse that we just read, Luke, uh, or Mark, you know, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and the second is like it, love each other as I have loved you. So the way we love God is loving each other. Then you go to uh, Luke, and someone said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, hey, 
love, love your neighbor. And so who's my neighbor? And he tells the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And John, this text, and, and many others. Then you go to Romans. And Romans chapter 12, verses 10, so 10 and follow, or 9 and following, where he says, love must be sincere, meaning without cracks or authentic. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then Romans 13, where he says, let no debt remain outstanding among you except the continuing debt of loving each other. And then he does that thing where he says, okay, take the Bible, all the commands, all the law and prophets, and you hang them on one command. What would that one command be? In Romans chapter 13, he says, it's love. The priority of love. And then you go to the next letter is 1 Corinthians. And what does Paul say? You can have incredible gifting. You can have incredible faith so that you can tell that mountain, go from here to there and it obeys you. You can have incredible devotion and acts of service. Give your body to be burned for the poor. Or all you have for the poor and your body to be burned. But if you lack what? You lack love, you've missed the point, and your gifts have lost their power to do what, what God intends them to do. And then you go to the next letter and the next letter, and every letter in the New Testament, it's core to who we are, who we are as followers of Christ and, and what our calling is. So the next question begins, um, comes to mind is why? Why is this so important? And, and that's where he takes us in this text, as he says, and I think when we ask the question, is this message from the beginning of John's life and walk with Christ or the beginning of time? He may be thinking beginning of time in verse 12 as he goes all the way back to Cain, the first family. He says this, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. Remember when we went uh, in our orientation series into Genesis chapter 4 and there was the first two brothers, first family, and uh, God said, warned Cain, hey, Sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. That leopard and Cain lost that fight. He's referring back to that moment as Cain was tempted to make it about himself, even worship as he was bringing his offering, caught up in pride and and self-interest. And he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. John puts a parenthesis here. He says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And just reminds us that, hey, we're going to be hated because we do the right things at times. And don't be surprised by that. And I think he's warning us, don't react. Don't do evil for evil. What's the New Testament call us to? And Jesus call us to, hey, when when we get hit with evil, Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by it. Meaning don't hit evil with evil. How do we overcome evil? It's with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, which means be Christ in that moment. and uh, But then he, he goes on, he says, and here's the why. Why should we? Why is this our calling to love one another? Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Death meaning that spiritual death, being separated from, from our God, from the source of our life because of our sin. We know that we have moved from being separated from God into life, which is spiritual life, a right relationship with God. How? How do we know that we've been reborn spiritually? How do we know we have a new heart? How do we know we're truly children of God? What's the evidence? What's the proof? It's love. It's who we are. This is our identity. If we have been reborn, we will love. Anyone who does not love remains in death. 
And anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, probably referring back to Matthew 5, 22, where Jesus fleshes this out. And you know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling within him. So why is this core to our calling? Why in every letter in the New Testament do we find God reminding us again, guys, the main thing is that you love each other. Why? It's, it's who we are. As Christians, it's our identity. One of the, the warning little yellow flags that comes up with this is, okay, if, if I am not loving somebody or if I'm okay with being a hateful person, it raises the question, do I truly know God? Am I truly following Christ? Um, it also raises the other question, which can put some doubt in our hearts, which is, okay, we could all probably pick one person we're struggling to love right now. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? You know, and, and do I really know God? And, and then you have that side of it. And it's really important as, we, as you read through John, and this is one of the interpretive keys that unlocks John. When John talks about sin, he's usually talking about a habit of life, a habitual way of life, a settled disposition of our heart where we have decided we're gonna do this and do the, live life this way. So he's not talking about the struggles that we have to, to, uh, to love, to, which we will all have until the day we die, but he's talking about being a hateful person or being a person who is okay with resentment, who is okay with not forgiving someone and just living in that. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we feel the grieve in our own heart as we realize this isn't right and there's no peace and I need to forgive this person or I need to love this person, we repent, a follower of Jesus will repent, will change, and will confess our sin, and will turn and seek to love. And, and we may fail again, <laughs> but we come back, and First John chapter 1, 9 says we, we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just, and he forgives us. But if we are okay with resentment and okay with hate, John would warn us, um, do we truly know the one who forgave us, and have we been reborn? And and if we haven't, and if we were led to that point, we can receive the gift of God, of, of salvation through faith. So in this text, John starts off, he, he gives us our calling, it's clear. Remember this, message from the beginning, we should love each other. The why is, it's just who we are. We, we've been reborn for this. You can't not love if you're a follower of Jesus. This is our calling. Now he goes to the how. So how do we do this? What's this look like? And... Uh, this is good. In verse six, 16 to, to 17, he says this. This is how we know what love is. Interesting. When Paul describes love, he, he gives us a list. Remember the list? Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is... But when John describes love, he gives us a person. Because he lived with, with Jesus. He watched Jesus. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, how can the love of God be in that person? You know, as we study the word of God and as we get with him in the morning or whenever we have our daily meeting with him, we talk about the four R's of just soaking in his word. The first one is we read it, then we reflect on it, think about it. Third is we, uh, we respond to it. 
in prayer, but also in action, whatever that may be. And then the fourth is we rejoice in it. Just praise God for what he gave to us in his word. And this little phrase I thought would be good for us just to rest in this, apply those four R's for a moment. The little phrase that says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And every word just explodes with, with uh, helping us understand love. Jesus, his human title, he took on humanity. He came into our mess for the sole purpose of becoming a, a sacrifice that would be pleasing to, to the Father. And I think about John watching Jesus live. Like, for three years, he got to, John got to watch Jesus be a human in his humanity and serve those guys, serve the people around him and meet needs. And then it says Jesus Christ, and this is his royal title, his, the fact that he's the Messiah, that he's God, fully God. And think about John, his eyes opening to the reality of this isn't just a human, this is God. The God who deserves worship and honor and glory, not the one who should be serving and laying down his life for us. We should be laying down his, our lives for him, and yet he's doing this for us. I remember the moment on the boat when Jesus just calms those, the storm, and what do they all do? They just fall to their knees and worship, like this is God. And the moment when Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000 and shows them how ministry is going to work, divine resources meeting human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. And you think about uh, the moments that he heals the sick. Remember when he calls Lazarus out of the grave and how the disciples are there watching this. Jesus Christ, this is, this is fully man, but fully God laid down his life for us. Those two words laid down communicate a willing sacrifice. Like no one forced Jesus to do this. In fact, Jesus was almost pulling the disciples. Remember how many times Jesus said the cross and they're like, no. He's like, no, we're going. And when the soldiers show up to arrest him, remember it was John standing there who saw those guys get pushed back by the power of God. Like no one forced Jesus to do this. And they're in the garden John was one of the three that Jesus said, come with me a little further and pray with me. And when John looked at Jesus' face, he saw that sweat as Jesus willingly laid down his life, saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That last phrase, his life for us, makes me think of, as John writes this, can you imagine what's going through his mind? It's, John was at the foot of the cross. We know because uh, in one of the Gospels, Jesus says, John, take care of my mom, in essence. And it was John who uh, saw Jesus finish his race, suffer the hell that we deserve so that we might have the life that life at its very best he laid down his life for us and the phrase the word us just a reminder does anybody else still struggle with sin right now had to ask forgiveness today <laughs> anybody deserve God's love and grace none of us do and yet he laid down his life for people who are broken and still messed up and 
still need his grace. This is love. And this is how we're to love each other. To lay down our lives for each other the way Christ laid down his life for us. I was reflecting this week on, on my prayer sheet on the back of it. I have a thing that I'll review every once in a while that the seven things I will, lay, I will take a bullet for. Like, just to remind myself, heat of the moment. <laughs> I don't want to forget this, but uh, seven things I will take a bullet for. One is the gospel truth, the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That is the sole source of our salvation. Second is the authority and inspiration of, the, of this Bible as the Word of God, sufficient for all that I need for, for life in Him. The third is the deity of Jesus Christ, the fact that He is fully God. Every other religion um, says, great teacher, but He's not God. Jesus is God, claimed to be God. Fourth is the uh, substitutionary atonement of of what he did for us on the cross and the fact that he was a all-sufficient sacrifice for my sin. The fifth is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that he did rise from the dead. Eyewitnesses, history testifies to this and his resurrection validates all the truth claims that he made. Sixth thing I'll take a bullet for is the fact that he's coming back for us. He didn't say it once, twice. he said it again and again, and it is our happy hope. The Lord is coming back for us. But do you know what the seventh thing that I'll take a bullet for is? You. It's you. That's where all theology leads, Right? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And he says, we should lay down our lives for each other. Like, die? Yeah. <laughs> That's love. That's what he's called us to. All theology leads to that. It's the main thing. Then he says, I love how John does this. Okay, we're all like, okay, I'm not quite there yet, John. He goes, all right. If you see somebody in need and God's given you possessions and you don't even have compassion on them, how can you say that you have the love of God in you? And it, he calls us up, checks us up, says, okay, call up. And that brings us to the pinnacle of this text. And this is the, the moment that that's just challenges us to get up and go, to love as he's as he's loved us in verse 18. So verse 18, he says this. Dear children, wrapping it up. Okay. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so the challenge of the day is simply this. Love one another with actions and in, in truth. He contrasts this. He says, and let us not love with words or speech. Talk where the whole idea of where love can get stranded in that quagmire of good intentions and talk, but rather just go do. I love what C.S. Lewis says. You know, often we're like, I just don't feel like loving somebody, and C.S. Lewis says, hey, don't worry about how you feel. Just go love them. Do the loving thing, and the feelings will catch up as, as we go. The challenge of the day, let us love with actions and in truth. What's it mean to love somebody with actions? And that's pretty self-explanatory. It means just 
doing what it is to meet their need, whatever it is God nudges you to do to meet their need. Just do something. Action, movement, go. And then what's it mean to love somebody in truth? I had a question around this, wasn't quite clear. Digging into it, it means to love someone with an authentic love where they're not a project, you're loving them because you truly care about them the way that Jesus cares about them. From the heart. You're not loving them or doing this good thing to check the so you feel better about yourself or just because, but rather there's a purity of love and authentic, authenticity of, of love where you truly care about them as a person and, and whatever they're going through. Now, are you feeling the hope that's, that's radiating out of this text right here? As you just hear God say this to us. How can, the, how can God look at you and me and say, go love each other, like today, this afternoon, like I, love, I have loved you. How can he say this to people who, if we're honest, we still have a bit of Cain in us, don't we? There's, we have the capacity as followers of Christ to love like Jesus, but we also have selfishness, our struggles with uh, just self-interest and all this stuff, greed and all this stuff. How can God say to you and me, go do this? Love with actions and in truth. How can he say it? And there's one word, and it's one of the sweet words we were singing about today. It's grace. It's the life-transforming, soul-saving grace of God that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he, we are reborn, new creations, and given a new capacity to love the way God loves. And he gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, indwells us, takes up permanent residence in us. And Paul told Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity that sits on the couch and wonders, I don't know if I can love like this. What kind of spirit did God give us? A spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So let's get up off the couch and let's go do some good. The love of God is beating in your heart, follower of Jesus. Is that not some good news and some hope? And if he called us to it, he's going to empower us to do it. So now we just have to get up off the couch, walk out into that garage, put the cock in the gun, and do some good. I was thinking, wouldn't it be fun if there was like that party spray that I could have just shot out over the... <laughs> that would have been a memorable moment. But uh, what's the good that God's called you to do? And in your life, as you think about doing good, what's the project that got, that's stalled out right now? And for whatever reason, you've got the caulk, you've got the time, you've got the ability, you've got the very power of God beaten in your soul, and you're sitting on the couch and today, through God's word, he's saying, guys, it's go time. It's go time. Let us not love with talk, words. Let's get up and let's love with actions and in truth. What's God called you to do today? And, and what's going to happen as a result? Isn't that awesome to think about? So for me, I drew two circles this week just to think about it. I'm, I'm sorry, one circle that helps me think about two groups. Often when I think about going and doing good, it's I'm going to go do some good out there in, in the world, join the great cause and Boom, do this. But where does God call us to start? It's with those closest to us, with our family, our faith family, our friends. Who's the person in your life that God's nudging you? Hey, here's a need. Let's just go meet that need. And when you see it, you're going after it. There's a text that I, I uh, had some question around. It's 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, that says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I sometimes wondered, why does God pri- tell us to prioritize doing good to our faith family? But as I've thought about that and lived in that, I'm starting to see it. We're the body of Christ, right? And if we're not healthy and strong, we're not going to be any good to the world. And so we got to keep each other strong. And, and so where's the need in the body? Similar to home. If mom and dad, husband, wife are not strong, eventually we're going to be no good to our kids. In fact, we'll cause pain to our kids if the marriage isn't strong. So that's why it's so important we, we start here. Start with the people closest to us, faithful to love them, do good. But then outside the circle, we start thinking, okay, Lord, who do you want me to, to lift up that is at work or at school or out there in our community? Maybe a stranger along the way. Maybe it's um, globally. Maybe it's a um, somewhere that you want me to go that, that doesn't have what we have, and God gives you a, a burden for a group of people or a need out there. So what is it God's placed on your, in your realm of influence, within the circle, outside the circle, and now? The challenge would be, let's go do some good. So the challenge of the day is simply this. Let's love with actions and, with, and in truth. A couple of stories that just pumped me up as I, I uh, saw them lived out or heard, heard about them. The first was with, uh, in his book, the, uh, Jonathan Reckford, who's the CEO of Habitat for Humanity and has really helped it just boom as a... a uh, organization shares a moment where uh, in his book better angels where he was working with jimmy carter former president in 1999 down in the philippines big build big neighborhood jimmy and his wife were down there overseeing it but they were building their own house and each house had a leader and the goal was get this house built in a week anything that wasn't built a professional team would come through and finish it up and so this leader one leader was saying you know we were 95 percent done with our house exhausted the whole group had the whole team had done a great job, but not every house was done. They were out there in the yard um, on the last day waiting to be picked up, and here comes the president, Jimmy Carter, walking up the road. And people are obviously getting pumped up, excited, wanting to take a picture. And, and this leader sees him walking towards him, and he's go, having that thought, uh-oh, what do I say to the president? What am I going to, what can I, what do you say? And so he's getting ready to talk. The president comes up and surprised him with this, what he said to him was, is your toilet in? And the guy's like, no, we didn't get to that. One of the last things. And so Jimmy just walks right by, says, follow me. They go in. He goes, all right, here's the bag of mortar. Mix it up. And then Jimmy, 75 years old at the time, gets down on his hands and knees, says, this is how you do it. Spreads out the mortar, levels things out, sets the toilet, and says, all right, could you show your son, who was the next house over, how to do that? And then, boom, he's gone. No chit-chat, no small talk, no he was on the job. Just one servant talking to another servant. Jimmy, his, one of his goals that week was every house on this build will have a working toilet when this team walks off the, the project. And last day, he's getting it done. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and I just think about that. Like, we get caught up in all these other games, what everybody's thinking about. And our Lord's like, no, man, it's one servant. Just, just keep serving, you know? Where's the need? Let's go. And think about when Jesus comes back, King of Kings comes back. Is he going to find me doing good? And it's scriptures like this that help make me think he's going to find us all 
doing good. As his word changes us and moves us and gets us going. The second one story was local. And it was where, uh, it was back in the middle of our quarantine this, this past spring. And it was one of those gloomy, ominous, just gloomy days. We, were, we had this COVID cloud ha- hanging over us too. And to make matters worse on this day, it was, I was in a funeral pr- procession where we were, I was sad for the family and that they couldn't really grieve the way you wanted to grieve with uh, all the, the people there to comfort them. And we were headed uh, down 30, out 36 west of town to, to the cemetery in New Winchester. And we were just a couple miles out of town. And I looked to my left and there standing by a green truck was a, a sweet couple. Um, they looked to be older in age, white hair, Husband, wife, and the man is holding a sign, and it's a poster board sign just with three words that, that are just etched in my mind. And the words were this, Chuck loves you. <laughs> and I, I just caught that. I'm like, I don't know if he was holding that sign for the, because he knew the funeral procession would be going by or if he was just out there trying to encourage everybody in the midst of crazy covid all I know is Chuck loves me, and I needed to, that felt good that day. And I remember I, write, or I wrote, this is what I wrote. I pulled the journal up, and this is what I wrote later on, reflecting on that. What would make a brother do that? Get up, write that sign, and go stand out in the, in the driveway. A heart so full of love, it's big enough for every car on our biggest highway. On that day, it was for a family grieving. What would make him do that? And it's the love of God. It's the love of God beating in his soul. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then he looks at us and says, now follow me. This is how we do it. This is the main thing. Love as I love. Let's do some good. Amen? Amen. One of the takeaways today was, uh, for me, was just asking God to purify my heart with his love. Pure means 100% of something. And I think there are moments in our lives when, as we walk with Christ and as we put our eyes on him, that we can live with a pure love. And... Uh, this would be, wouldn't it be cool if we all just make that our prayer? Lord, would you give me that pure love um, today and in the moments that I live? And when I fail or you show me a moment that I, I'm not loving, just use that as an opportunity for cleansing and learning and, and to purify my love. So if I could just lead us in prayer. But Father, we thank you so much for your love that you've poured out to us through Jesus. And, and then through faith in him, to have this new capacity, Lord, to love as you love, and it's just awesome. But today, we, I think we all probably feel the gap of where we, we want to be. We feel the reality of our tainted love, and so we pray in these moments that you would do the miracle of transformation, that Holy Spirit, you would take your word and just change us. God, I pray that you would purify our hearts. Give us the love that beats with a purity 
that's not even thinking about self anymore, but thinking only about what you did for us and the joy of just being able to help somebody with what you've given us. Jesus, thank you for your example. Holy Spirit, thank you for your empowering. Father, I thank you for just another day of life to breathe and to do good for your glory. Thank you for this faith family and just bringing us together today and this moment in time and to, uh, to just live out the love that you've given us to a world that needs it. Pray that you would empower us, unite us as Wes prayed as we started, just that we would be encouraged in heart, united in love to do the good that you've called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, exciting way to end this service is that we have the Bloomer family coming, a team that is, um, we get to be a part of helping them go do the good that God's called them to do. And uh, and then we have, so going global, and then we're going to, I'll share with you a team that's going local in doing good. But would you uh, welcome with me, Phil, Martha, Jack. <laughs> well, good morning, church family. It's great to be with you. And just want to say thank you, first of all, for your faithful ministry to us and your faithful support and your prayers through our time in Brazil. As we are your missionaries to Sao Paulo, Brazil, we are an extension of the ministry at Westbridge Church, and we are privileged to go uh, to um, Sao Paulo and serve there. It was exciting this morning. The first service, I was able to baptize Kayla, our youngest. That was an exciting time in, in our life, and um, our three girls are in various classrooms right now, so they are here, but they won't join us this morning. As you look at the pictures, we're going to just look back briefly at our, our, our last term in Brazil. Several pictures up there. Um, pictures of a baptism we had back in February, right before COVID hit. We had four people baptized. One of them, his name is Louise. There's a picture of Louise in, in, the, in the pictures of him holding a certificate. Prayed for that brother. 25 years his family did. And just over a year ago, he trusted Christ as Savior. And we could see an instant change in his life, and, and he followed in baptism this past February. What an exciting time. We were really gaining momentum as a church. Then COVID hit. Everything went virtual. Martha started teaching virtually at the school that our kids attended. But we still were making connections. Pray for Refuge as just about a month ago, they started back into uh, in-person services. About a quarter of the people that were there are coming back, so pray for that. But things are still going well. They are, they are growing uh, spiritually through the leadership of Pastor Lucas. And we are excited to team with Pastor Lucas and and, and the group there when we return to Sao Paulo in July. As John has some jobs to do at home, we've been working on a kitchen remodel. We had some damage when we got back, and so we've been doing that. So I have my tool kit up here. Whether a tool for a job, whether it's a hammer or a drill, there's a tool for the job. As we return to Brazil, the tool for the job that we want to do is we want to focus on equipping men in ministry, equipping elders, training men up so that they can do the work of the ministry. In Ephesians 4, verse 11, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. As we return 
to a, an equipping, a training, a mentoring, a discipleshiping ministry at Refuge. We want to train elders. Get these men in place where they can lead the church and build the church as in Sao Paulo Refuge Baptist Church. To give them the tool that they need, the word of God, so that the church may be built up. And we can't do this alone. Martha will be returning to children's ministries at the church as well as teaching at PACA, wanting adding time for her to equip young people with the gospel. But we can't do it without the church. We can't do it without so many faithful supporters. We, we ask that you pray for us as we increase our support that we need to do. Pray for us as we continue to connect with Refuge as we make the plans on how we best will train these men. Pray for our families as it always is a tough time to be separated from them, especially during this time um, things are going on. But we say thank you. Pray for us as we go do some good. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> exciting. Appreciate Phil Martha's ministry. And, and exciting to think about Refuge is a church plant that is in a, a tough neighborhood, a neighborhood that's a lot of poverty around that. I think running about 60 people right now, and our prayer is that would just um, continue to grow and even come to the point where they're planting churches in other neighborhoods. And so we get to be part of that. So thank you. And then the uh, other, okay, so that a team going global to do good. We have a team going local to do good. And joining with us is the Botter family. And so we have Ben and Sarah and their dog, Bodie, and Bodie's getting a brother or sister here in a couple weeks, and Paige, who's a sophomore at Bethesda, and uh, Jake, who is a senior at Bethesda, and just uh, was baptized this morning following Christ. The whole family um, have, has come to faith in Jesus Christ and are just excited to, to serve him with us for this season. Ben and Sarah met at Cedarville way back in the day, and... Uh, Neat to, to hear their faith story, but also their love story and, and where they're at. Now, Ben's an audio engineer in Zionsville, and then uh, Sarah is a uh, nurse. She, she's worked nights for over 20 years at Methodist in the uh, uh, labor and delivery area. So big heart, but uh, and then mentioned Paige uh, loves basketball, Jake's soccer. But just neat to, uh, to see this family following Christ and then joining with our family. And so would you join me in welcoming them? Our church family. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.